0: Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You can learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com or you can download our free Living Truth app. Now here's part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 41 through 42 called Present Your Case. If you read in Isaiah, you know that one of the
1: hallmarks of Babylonian religion was astrology and they were very much into thinking that their gods could predict the future this is one of the things they said of their idols one of the things that their practitioners would do their priests is they would cut open a sheep literally cut it open look at its intestines the way that they were coiled and determine the future from that particular look on the inside of a sheep this is the practice think with me now called divination Divination to divine something in the occult, which still happens today, we, whether it be through tarot cards, whether it be through uh, astrology, whether it be a crystal ball, whether it be scrying where someone looks at an object and tries to determine things occluded, which could be about the past, present, or future, this is happening today. This happened in the whole move that kind of led us toward Halloween, That's what was behind it, the druids, and they would even do this with dead bodies. They would kill people, and they would determine the future from the way the body fell. That's how weird and satanic this stuff was. They claimed that they could divine reality. They could go behind the veil with their gods. And so God is saying, well, if that's the case, if that's really true, then just give me one. Go ahead, i give you the microphone. Give me one prediction. Go ahead and speak. Tell me something that is gonna happen a hundred years from now. You know your Bible does that all the time. And we just read about it last Wednesday when we looked at Cyrus from Isaiah 45 where God named Cyrus the king of Persia before he's ever born. And that's just a minor prophecy compared, think of it, Isaiah's written around 700 B.C. Now about somewhere a hundred years plus later, 150 years, Cyrus the Great is born and he conquers a bunch of lands, including Babylon and Media. But 700 years from the time of Isaiah, prophecy after prophecy comes forward about who? The Messiah. God says, I can do short-term prophecy, long-term prophecy, whatever you want. Imagine that I were able to tell you a specific series of 10 events that were gonna happen 500 years from today. And I wrote it down and it was able to be verified. You wouldn't be there, I wouldn't be there, but somebody would be. That would be nothing less than miraculous. And that's what God is saying. I'm outside of time, but let's see how the idols do. And sadly, I have to tell you that Israel uh, mingled with idols and they paid the price. Psalm 106, 35 says, but they mingled with the nations they learned their practices, they served their idols, listen, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons, Psalm one hundred six thirty seven, and shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and their daughters whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood, Psalm 106, 35 through 38. God said, this wasn't a minor thing. This wasn't like someone could say, I can toy with the idol and then I'll be just fine. No, the idols led them to not only land pollution, but heart pollution. And God, remember, if you study your Bible, God warned them before this ever happened. He said, when you go into the land that I am giving to you, don't learn to practice the detestable things that they do. I don't want you to Allow the medium to do her thing. And I don't want witchcraft. And I don't want your children passing through the fire. That's the reason I'm booting them out of the land and giving it to you. And so Israel became enamored with the idols because the idols do promise something. What do they promise? Maybe excitement? Maybe a little power? You know, why do you think young people are uh, enthralled with the idea of dark power? whether it be vampires or magic or witchcraft or the occult, because there's something exciting about it. It's wrong, but yet it gives you kind of this little rush that maybe you can get into some secret place or know some additional power, or maybe even for some kids, maybe you can get at people who really have done you wrong. And so people open up their lives to this stuff, and God says, look, there is a price to pay if you open up your life to the idol's. And God says, verse 23, Declare the things that are going to come afterward, that we may know that you are God's. Indeed, do good or evil, that we may anxiously look about us and fear together. God is saying, go ahead, embarrass me. Go ahead, I challenge you. But who's he talking to? An idol is nothing in the world. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, if there's any power behind an idol at all, it's demonic, it's demonic, But idols are really nothing. All they are is a statue. They can't see, they can't hear, they can't feel, they can't talk, and they certainly can't predict the future. So then, who's God talking to if He knows idols are not real? You and me. See, He knows we're listening in, He knows they're not real, He knows they're not going to answer. He's doing this for our benefit. He knows that we're sitting there. We propped up the idol. Okay, I hope he can perform today. And God's saying, I know he's not going to say anything because he's false. He's dead. But I want you to hear. In other words, God's saying, I want you to see how ridiculous it is, how stupid it is for you to trust in that thing. And we're going to go mano y mano. We're going to go face to face, me and your idol, and let's see who wins the day. And then you're sitting at the table and your idol can't say anything because it's dead. And God says, oh, we'll wait around a little longer. Just like he did to the prophets on uh, Mount Carmel, remember, when... uh, Uh, Elijah's taking him on. He says, well, maybe your God went on vacation. We'll give him a little bit more time. And what do the prophets of Baal do? They cut themselves. Oh, Baal, Baal, Baal. Don't bail on us now, Baal. Look, I'm bleeding, man. Baal isn't answering. And then Elijah, which some of us take great heart in because he's kind of a smart aleck, which gives you a little bit of reason to be a smart aleck. He says, well, maybe your God's on vacation. And some Hebrew scholars think that some of the language means maybe your God's on the toilet. And I'm being serious when I say that. So there's a little humor and sarcasm. That's, and that's what God is really doing here. This is all sarcasm. That's what God is doing. He's saying, take a good look at what you trust. Have you ever had a point in your life where you, you realized, I exchanged something to walk with God, whatever that thing was. Whether it was the pursuit of, You know, you name it, you fill in the blank, whatever it is for you. And then did you ever have one of those moments where you looked at it and then you looked at God and everything that God is and that he's done for you and you rediscovered your Bible and you went, "Uh, what was I thinking exactly? What what was I thinking in that period of three years? Was I in a fog or something? Now put yourself at the courtroom chair. There's your idol that you used to trust in. What do you want to do with your idol now? Uh, You want to smash it. And I think that's what God is doing. I think God is saying, look, destroy your idol or give it to me and I'll do it for you. And the good kings of Israel, they went all over the land and what did they do? Why were they called good kings? Because they tore down the sacred pillars, the high places, and they returned the nation back to pure worship. And God said, that's what makes a good leader. Devotion to God. So, One other thing about these false gods, go to Jeremiah, one book to your right, Jeremiah 2. There are passages in the Psalms, Psalm 115 and other places, that say you become like your idol. This is interesting. You become like the God that you worship or follow. If you follow, here's the positive, if you follow Yahweh, he conforms you more into his image. But if you follow a false god, look at Jeremiah 2, verse 4. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, all the families of the house of Israel, Jeremiah 2, 5. Thus says the Lord, What injustice did your fathers find in me, that they went far from me, and walked after emptiness and became empty? I want you to note those two phrases, because you're going to see that that's what God concludes about an idol. Emptiness. And they did not say, where is the Lord who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and pits, through a land of drought and of deep darkness, through a land that no one crossed and where no man dwelt, seven. And I brought you into the fruitful land to eat its fruit and its good things. But you came and defiled my land and my inheritance you made an abomination. The priest did not say, where is the Lord, eight. And those who handle the law did not know me. The rulers also transgressed me, and the prophets prophesied by who? There he is, Baal. And they walked after things that did not profit. And if you want to capture the essence of what God says about idolatry, that's it. It's walking after things that ultimately will be empty. They will bring emptiness. They will be empty. They will bring no profit. And those who follow them will be what? Like them. So, any, Isaiah 41, any idolater is therefore empty. And so we have a bunch of empty people walking around. They become like their gods. They're wondering if there's an answer. And some, you know, for a season, uh, their idolatry can be exciting. But ultimately, they become just like their God lifeless, dead, and just propped up. And that's God's conclusion. He says, take a a really deep, fresh look at what the nations do. And Israel fell into this, and the church has this temptation. So he says, behold, 24, 41, 24, or indeed, here's his conclusion to uh, to the idols, and If you think of the word behold or indeed, you kind of see a pause there. It's like God waited and then he said, ah, just as I suspected. Read on. You are of no account. Your work amounts to nothing.
0: And he who chooses you is an abomination. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Walk in Truth has more content for you to listen to with
1: our mini Sodes A Step Closer, where Pastor Michael Lance and others on the Walk in Truth team discuss topics and questions about life from a Christian perspective, you'll also get a chance to get to know the team. We have just celebrated Easter, so the first series is on the resurrection. So if something is that that's written down reflects poorly on what is being described or what is being reported on, if that reflects poorly, That lends to its credibility. Yes. Because normally we say, well, the writers are biased. Uh, Regardless, we're not just talking about the New Testament. Any writer's biased, they want to get their point of view across. But what shows their objectivity, or attempt to be objective, is when they include information or facts that reflect poorly on themselves or the narrative they're trying to push. Yes, and and so let's take a step further towards that. So when the women go to the apostles, who are supposed to be the brave followers of Christ, they say. The, the women have lost their minds to paraphrase. They do. They're just crazy tales. They they don't believe it which is another embarrassment yeah. because of course the, the documents go on to say that Christ is risen and it becomes crystal clear but the, the way that it, this is written down and we believe it corresponds exactly to what happened is that they don't believe they have no faith. To listen to the Walk in Truth minisodes a step closer, follow Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app like Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and more. Again, follow Walk in Truth on your favorite
0: podcast app. Thanks for tuning in to Walk in Truth today. Did you know there's more where that came from? Download the Living Truth app to listen to more of Pastor Michael's teachings whenever you want. You can even watch videos. And if you're local to Southern California... You can get updates on church events, new studies, and more. Download the free Living Truth app today. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth.
1: Lifeless. Dead. And just propped up. And that's God's conclusion. He says, take a, take a really deep, fresh look at what the nations do. And Israel fell into this, and the church has this temptation. So he says, behold, 24, 41, 24, or indeed, here's his conclusion to the, uh, to the idols, and If you think of the word behold or indeed, you kind of see a pause there. It's like God waited and then he said, ah, just as I suspected. Read on. You are of no account. Your work amounts to nothing. And he who chooses you is an abomination. God said of the idols they're an abomination, but anyone who chooses an idol becomes like the idol and therefore they are abominable to God. The word abomination is a strong word. It means to be detestable It means something that God really has a dim view of. (laughs) You could say, you could translate the word, it's disgusting to God, that people do this type of thing. And so God now is gonna go back to this idea of stirring up and controlling history and predicting the future. He says, I have aroused 25, one from the north, this is Cyrus, and he has come. From the rising of the sun, he will call on my name. Many see that fulfilled in The uh, release of the captives, you can note Ezra 1, verses 1 through 4. He will call on my name, or at least he will be used by me. He will come upon rulers as upon mortar. Even as the potter treads the clay, he'll be quick to destroy. Who has declared this from the beginning that we might know? Or the former times, so he goes back to the question, you know, can you predict the future? That we may say he is right Surely there was no one who declared, no one answered. Surely there was no one who proclaimed. Surely there was no one who heard your words. Formally, 27, I said to Zion, Behold, here they are, and to Jerusalem, I will give a messenger of good news. But when I look, there is no one, and there is no counselor among them who, if I ask, can give an answer. Behold, all of them are false. Their works are worthless. Their molten images, and he finishes now the argument, are wind and they are emptiness. The New King James translates emptiness as confusion. There's the conclusion from God. I gave you a chance. You didn't say anything. This has been your history. It's no surprise. You are worthless. You are nothing. Why would anybody even bother with molten images that only produce wind? Think of Solomon, he says, chasing the wind, you know, never quite got there. Emptiness and confusion. The word shalom, which is peace, translated in English, means wholeness, well-being. When you have shalom, you have literally, in the ancient Hebrew picture language, allowed the one who destroys the author of chaos to come into your life. And the answer to idolatry is Jesus Christ. All of us, let's face it, on one level or another, however we defined what we did or what we pursued, it was really idolatry. Whether we put the word on it or not makes little difference. But we discovered that. Look at verse 29. We discovered things were worthless. They were emptiness. They were wind. They were confusion. But then shalom came into our life. It dealt with the root issue. That's The idea of the word shalom, peace. And God destroyed the author of chaos. When the idols come into our life, that's all they produce. So we move now into a contrast in 42 verse 1. Behold, now God introduces a new player on the scene. This is the first of four servant songs in Isaiah. Behold my servant, whom I uphold my chosen, and whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. And he will bring forth justice to the nations or to the Gentiles. Now a new player comes on the scene and he is the servant of Yahweh. And this is an Old Testament prophecy of Messiah. He is the direct contrast. He is the answer to the emptiness of idolatry. He comes on the scene not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And God says, I will uphold him. He is my chosen. Think of the Messiah. My soul delights him. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is the one that I love. As a matter of fact, on the Mount of Transfiguration in Luke 9, uh, verse 35, God says from the thundering cloud of glory, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. At his baptism, God says, this is my beloved son, think of it, in whom my soul delights. This is the one. He is the answer. He will be the hope of the Gentiles. He has become my hope. And he is introduced as the one that we must now look to with the word behold. God has put his spirit upon him. Think of his baptism when the spirit descended upon him and God affirms him as Messiah, the one that brings life. He, speaking of the servant, verse 2, will not cry out, means a cry of distress here, and even points to his rejection in Isaiah 53, or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth, And the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. All of a sudden, this new servant appears, and Matthew quotes this. Go to Matthew 12, the first book of your New Testament. Matthew quotes this in an interesting context. It's about, it follows a highlight of Jesus' healing ministry. Matthew 12. Jesus has just healed the man with a withered hand in context. The Pharisees want to destroy him. Verse 14, 15 of Matthew 12 says, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. Many followed him and he healed them all. And he warned them not to make him known. He didn't want to broadcast it in the street. 17. In order that what was spoken through Isaiah, the prophet, might be fulfilled, saying, Behold my servant whom I have chosen. My beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. He won't try to ramp up a political uh, group. A battered reed he will not break off. A smoldering wick he will not put out until he leads justice to victory. And in his name, would you notice? The Gentiles will hope. Go back to Isaiah. This was the ministry of the servant of Yahweh. He came. If you were a battered reed, he didn't kick you in the dirt when you were down and say, you know, you you heathen idolater, how could you do that? No, he brought the unexpected people right into his fold. And if you were a battered reed, he didn't beat you up more. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. If you were a wick that was about to burn out, he didn't go and blow you out and say, (laughs) no, he tried to revitalize your life. He brought healing to people, healing of body and soul. He tried to reignite the flame. He is the light of the world. And he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but he will have, she will have the light of life. He came into the world and in him was life and that life is the light of men. And then in John 3, he says, but men love darkness rather than light. God is light. And when Jesus came into the world, he came to a a world that was swimming in idolatry and he came in and he said, this is, I am the one, the living God, the chosen one. I came to my world. I'm not some dead idol. I'm not some empty thing that you worship. I have come to give you life and that more abundantly. The thief, what does he come to do? Steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. I've come to bring you justice, a just life. I was reading one commentary, and this particular writer said, the word justice, if you go back to Isaiah, which is found three times in verses one through four, is a word that was used for the um, blueprint of the tabernacle, And he said one legitimate way to uh, define justice is God's blueprint. It is following that which is valuable, that which is from heaven and given to earth. And that's Jesus. He's the blueprint for life. He's God's final message to the world. And he says, follow me and you'll have life. Follow me and you won't remain in darkness. Follow me and I'll move the idols out of your life and they'll be crushed and they'll die and they'll no longer have power over you. Will you follow me? And some people did. And some people walked away sorrowful and went back to their riches. where well, they had many possessions. And he says, choose.
0: You've been listening to Present Your Case, Part 2 on Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 41 and 42. Hey, if you missed any part of today's program, you could listen to Walk in Truth on our Free Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, we'd love to connect with you. You can email or send Pastor Michael and the team here a letter. We love mail. You can get all the contact information at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. But our email address is contact at walkintruth.com. That's contact at walkintruth.com. And here's our mailing address. Are you ready? You can write Pastor Michael at P.O. Box 2063, Corona, California, 92878. That's P.O. Box 2063, Corona, California, 92878. If you've been listening for some time now and you're blessed by this ministry, if you've learned something from Pastor Michael's teachings, or if you've been encouraged, please help others like you. Visit walkintruth.com to donate. That's walkintruth.com. And join us tomorrow for part three of Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah chapters 41 and 42 called Present Your Case. I'm Mike Massaro, and thanks for listening to Walk in Truth where it's our goal to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.